Are we ready for a new world order? The United States is in the state of war. Undeclared total war. The key to the new war would be secrecy. Hello and welcome to the Jeremy Elliott Show. I'm Jeremy Elliott. In honor of our first episode, I wanted to put together an end-to-end review on what I understand the New World Order to be and how it's being implemented. This episode consists of a culmination of my own research, thoughts, opinions, and historical facts. I'm dedicated to providing two perspectives, one secular and one sacred. But before we get into that, stay up to date with everything iconic by following us on all of our social media. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash theiconicpodcast and making a monthly pledge. You can also support us by going to the Iconic Label and purchasing some merchandise. Now, let's get down to business. What is this new world order? Well, I think Michael Birkin provides an excellent overview where he says, Viewing the history of the world as a history of warfare between secret societies where well-established upper-class families with old money who founded and financed the Bilderberg Group, Bohemian Grove, Club of Rome, Council on Foreign Relations, the Rhodes Trust, Skull and Bones, the Trilateral Commission, and similar think tanks and private clubs are illuminated conspirators plotting to impose a totalitarian New World Order, the implementation of an authoritarian world government controlled by the United Nations, and a global central bank which maintains political power through the financialization of the economy, regulation and restriction of speech through the concentration of media ownership, mass surveillance, the widespread use of state terrorism, and an all-encompassing propaganda that creates a cult of personality around a puppet world leader and idealizes world government as the culmination of history's progress. That was Michael Birkin in his book, A Culture of Conspiracy, Apocalyptic Visions in Contemporary America. Now, we've all heard about this new world order idea and what it entails. We hear things like a one world government, a one world monetary system and a single unit currency, a one world language, a one world religion, a one world military, and a depopulation agenda. But if we deep dive into each of these, we'll see that the one world government idea, we move from monarchies to nation states, nation states to the corporate state and from the corporate state to the global state. With this one world monetary system and single unit currency, we have a single unit currency standardized across the entire world, which gives us this idea of a cashless society. We'll have a one world language via the Internet. English is the lingua franca, like Akkadian was in the in the ancient world. The international language of business or the international language of correspondence. We'll have a one world religion, Gaia, earth worship, paganism, monism It's the the coexist philosophy of the Baha'i faith, the one world military. NATO is being crafted, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, to be a one world military system. A depopulation agenda, reducing the population under what's known as Malthusian eugenics. Malthusianism teaches us that we're over the Earth's carrying capacity like a giant ship. We're infinite growth against finite resources, where eugenics tells us which people out of the population need to be removed. We'll have controlled birth and death rates to achieve that end. Now, what does this mean for you and I? What is the actual end game? Well, it's the end of the line for things like national sovereignty and constitutional republics or private property and private land ownership. The mom and pop shops will be replaced or consumed by sustainable production. The nuclear family unit will be a thing of the past. Father, mother, child is replaced with parent one and parent two. Children are no longer babies. They're 
There they be, sexless, genderless, nationless, and godless. Communal education and child-rearing by the state. Immigration will be a thing of the past as we'll have open borders for world citizens based on, well, the social credit score. Private farmlands and grazing of livestock will be a thing of the past. In this new world society, people will be herded into, well, into city centers where their needs will be cared for. We'll have a, a social credit system to determine the rights and privileges of each new world citizen, a universal basic income to supply the basic necessities with carbon taxes, limits and restrictions, of course, track and trace of all products, all contacts, all travel behaviors, and of course, your intellectual views. We'll have a Internet of Things, centralized system of control and power by AI, algorithms, robots and machine learning, and of course, 3D printing on smart grids with smart cities with smart meters, an internet of bodies connecting your body to the smart grid. All businesses will be public-private partnerships with the government following the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, the ESG Guidelines, and of course, the three E's, Economy, Ecology, and Equity. The United Nations control will be governed through these SDGs, these three E's and ESGs via major asset managers like BlackRock, Vanguard, Stake Street, and Berkshire Hathaway. Control over all private property, the means of production, and all avenues of trade is a standard definition of communism. Humanity will be placed in human settlement zones or human habitats. The global domestication of what they call the human cattle or the human weeds. All non-settlement areas for human beings will be placed under the rewilding project. What Michael Birkin in his book is calling the secret societies are actually secret social societies that are partly open to the public and provide a hint of transparency, but they're mostly secretive. What are typically called the roundtable organizations, founded and developed by personnel who are offshoots of the Celso Rhodes Milner Group, who in the late 1800s and early 1900s devised a plan for world empire based in Britain, who later emerged with the Rockefeller Consortium, giving birth to this idea of what we know today as the New World Order, based in Manhattan, with the United Nations as the front organization for world government. The roundtable groups consist of the Council on Foreign Relations, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, or, or what's known as Chatham House, the Trilateral Commission, the Bilderberg Group, and of course, the Club of Rome, Budapest, and Madrid. It is these groups and their members who are responsible for the founding and formulation of the U.S. Federal Reserve System in 1913, the League of Nations in 1919, the International Monetary Fund in 1944, the United Nations in 1945, the World Bank also in 1945, the World Health Organization in 1948, the European Union and the Euro currency in 1993, the World Trade Organization in 1998, the African Union in 2002, and the Union of the South American Nations in 2008. And their global to local plan is to implement world government down to the neighborhood level with Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030, with their 17 sustainable development goals and their ESGs, environmental social governance. Today, people hear the term like the new world order and their first thought is, oh no, this is just another one of those crazy conspiracy theories, which allows them to casually dismiss it with no further thought. But since you and I never hear these ideas discussed by everyday people, the natural question arises, who are these people who are constantly talking about the New World Order 
And what can they possibly mean by it? Well, you don't have to look much further. We've secured a montage of people in power who openly talk about what Michael Birkin calls the secret power elite that are part of secret societies who are, well, championing this idea. If this is a conspiracy theory, then there's there's a who's who list of co-conspirators who, unlike you and I, seem obsessed with this New World Order idea, and they're not shy from going on camera in the public eye and broadcasting their thoughts worldwide. Are we ready for a new world order? To lead in shaping, shaping, shaping a new world order. We talk about the new world order, right. right? We are already seeing signs of a new world order. And that's just the way it is. We've got to accept that this is the new world order eventually lead to a, a new world order. Today is the first full day of the new world order. Looks like in the new world order. This is a new world order. A new world order can emerge. The possibility, uh, really for the first time ever, of a new world order. This new world order, as it has been called, this new world order that is still emerging, it is not yet here. A new world order. The best chance to begin to establish the new world order. This new world order. We needed a new world order. A new world order. A new world order. In this new world order. The emergence of a new world order. For the new world order he is trying to organize. Of a new world order. And a better new world order. This new world order we're attempting to establish. A new world order. A new world order. The president outlined his vision of a new world order. A new world order. A new world order. I think a new world order is emerging. The new world order. New world order is the headline in the Globe and Mail in Canada. We kept talking about a new world order. India and China are clearly becoming part of our new order. It's a need for a new world order. The very real prospect of a new world order. Of success in this new world order. And it hasn't been used since, and that is a new world order. Nobus order seclorum, a new order for the centuries, for the ages, forever. What kind of new world order we really create? Out of it came a new Europe, a new world order. It's about the future of Europe and a new world order. The new world order is emerging, and with it the foundations of a new and progressive era of international cooperation. We're building a new world order when it's almost exclusively the United States who will be fighting in the desert. What does the new world order mean for countries like ours? To bring China into the creation of a new uh, 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 world order. Most important countries which must build a new world order have had any experience. People talked then in 1990 of a new world order. Never before has a new world order had to be assembled from so many different perceptions. And everybody was writing their scripts. Everybody was hanging out at the pool table drinking cappuccinos and waxing philosophically about the new world order and everything. Tim, what do you think America's place in the new world order should be? Can it really be said that this is a true new world order when it lacks a true United Nations collective security effort? When really a new world order can be created, it's a great opportunity. Take these various forces and build a new world order. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Just to recap on what Michael Birkin understood the New Order activists to be saying, he said that there's a secret power elite, and there's war between secret societies with well-established upper-class families with old money who founded and financed the Bilderberg Group, Bohemian Grove, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Rhodes Trust, the Club of Rome, the Trilateral Commission, and they have a goal of a new world order. 
which means the centralization of power into the United Nations, the global central bank, the financialization of the economy, restriction of speech, mass surveillance, state terrorism, a puppet world leader, and of course, world government. And it's being implemented globally through the United Nations via sustainable development and ESGs, environmental social governance, and the three E's, economy, ecology, and equity. But let's hear what Dr. Mahathir Mohamed, former prime minister of Malaysia, has to say about this. Malaysia's former prime minister, Dr. Mahathir Mohamed, said that the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPPA, is a new world order strategy by a powerful pact of people led by the U.S. to dominate the world economy. Speaking at the international conference titled New World Order, Recipe for Peace or War, organized by the Perdana Global Peace Foundation, Dr. Mahathir said globalization and borderless trade are being used to establish a one-world government. Basically, it is about having a world government. We should abolish all states, all nations, all borders, but instead have only one world government. And that world government is to be by certain people, elites, people who are very rich, very intelligent, very powerful in many ways, they are the ones who will govern the world. There was not much talk about democracy or choice of leaders. Instead, there was to be a government by these elites who will impose their rules on everyone in this world. And for those who are unwilling to submit to them, there will be punishment. And the peace that we will get from this is the peace of the graveyard. Because the intention also is to reduce the number of people in this world. At the time when the new world order was enunciated, the population of this world was only 3 billion. The intention was to reduce it to 1 billion. Now the population of the world is 7 billion. There will be a need to kill many billions of people or to starve them to death or to prevent them from giving birth in order to reduce the population of this world. Even the children are singing about the new world order these days. Here's Pacific Unite saving lives together, the United Nations in concert. Not only do we get politicians from all around the world talking about the New World Order, and we get kids and young adults in the Pacific Islands singing about the New World Order, 
we also get celebrities singing songs that embody the very ideas prescribed by it. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people. Living for today. Yeah. Imagine there is no countries yet. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people. Someday you will join us And the world will live as one Imagine no possessions I wonder if you can No need for greed and hunger Brotherhood of man Sharing all the world But I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us. And the world will be as one. Imagine that there's no countries, no religion. Imagine no possessions. The irony of wealthy celebrities saying that there's no possessions. Sharing the world, I hope one day you'll join us and the world will be as one. Why is this significant? Well, it seems that the Jesuit-trained Adam Weissop is reaching through time with this John Lennon song, echoing the famous six points from Weissop, as David Allen Rivera in his book, Final Warning, A History of the New World Order, page 41, where he gives us the six points. He says, number one, abolition of the monarchy, an all-ordered government. Number two, the abolition of private property. Number three, the abolition of inheritance. Number four, the abolition of patriotism. Number five, the abolition of the family through the abolition of marriage, all morality, and the institution of communal education for children. And number six, the abolition of all religion. You can see a little bit of this being pushed into the culture via predictive programming to get the population thinking along these lines to whet their appetite for it. What is predictive programming? Glad you asked. To find out more, just keep watching this video. But in the meantime, stay up to date with everything iconic by following us on all of our social media. Don't forget to like our videos and subscribe to our channel. To support us, you can go to patreon.com slash the iconic podcast and make a monthly pledge. You can also go to the and purchase some of our merchandise. Now let's get back to it. Predictive programming is the foreshadowing of events in the media before they happen. It can be in the form of any media, such as album covers, posters, cartoons, magazines, commercials, TV shows, and movies. Just to give you a good idea about what it's like so that you'll notice it when you see it, 
A good example of this is back in the 1940s with the 1948 film entitled State of the Union, starring Spencer Tracy and Katherine Hepburn, which talk about a new world order in the form of uniting all the nations of the world under a federal head, just like the 50 states of the United States unionized under the federal government. This is predictive programming back in the 1940s. And I'm going to tell them that there's only one government which is capable of handling the atomic control, world disarmament, world employment, world peace, and that's a world government. The people of 13 states started the United States of America. Well, I think that the people of that many nations are now ready to start a United States of the world with or without Russia. And I mean a United States of the world with one Bill of Rights, one international law, one international currency, one international citizenship. This is how predictive programming looked regarding that fateful September event. Super Tramp, Breakfast in America album cover, Pakistan International Airlines ad, Real Ghostbusters. Nineteen eighty-nine, WWF, and tear down the twin towers. Oh, yeah. I can still feel the pain when that cold steel bit, and I can still feel the pain right now. And Hulk Hogan, that pain won't stop until the twin towers come crumbling down. Nineteen ninety-one, Terminator Two. Warplane sighted heading for New York City. Our detection system shows nothing. Mayday! Mayday! Now strike at the heart of American defense and destroy the Pentagon with one swift and deadly blow. <laughs> 1994 Viceland Magazine article. 1995 The Tick. Season 1, Episode 12. We are under attack! Terror unleashed from the sacred cotton candy place of our dreams! If anyone is out there listening, get out of town before it gets to you! And I'm out of here! 1995, Philips Home Cinema Commercial. Including 100 hertz flicker-free pictures and widescreens. Philips, let's make things better. 1995, Illuminati Card Game. 1996, The Long Kiss Goodnight. You're telling me that you're gonna fake some terrorist thing just to get some money out of Congress? Well, unfortunately, Mr. Hennessy, I've no idea how to fake killing 4,000 people. So we're just gonna have to do it for real. Oh, blame it on the Muslims, naturally. <laughs> then I get my funding. 1997, The Simpsons. Season 9, Episode 1. Oh, I'd love to see New York. We could all go with the bus company's special super sitter fare. Nine bucks? This one's on me. Great! 1998, a steal from the movie Godzilla. 1998, Pirelli Tires ad. 1999, The Matrix. 2000, The Patriot. Nine pounds, 11 ounces, that's perfect, perfect. 
more like the Patriot Act. 2001, New York Magazine. 2001, March, The Lone Gunman. You're saying our government plans to commit a terrorist act against a domestic airline? There you go. Indicting the entire government as usual. It's a faction, a small faction. For what possible gain? Bring down a fully loaded 727 into the middle of New York City, and you'll find a dozen tin pot dictators all over the world just clamoring to take responsibility and begging to be smart bombed. I can't believe it. This is about increasing arms sales. Two thousand and one, June, just months before the events took place. The Coop party music album cover. The game called Trade Center Defender that released in April, two thousand one, and this was a flash arcade game where players shoot down planes heading towards the towers. And if a plane hit the towers, it would pancake. The week of September 11th, 2001, this game was actually removed from the internet and pulled from arcades. And by the end of September 2001, this game was actually remade by a French website entitled New York Defender. If you wanted to do something like this on a global scale, how would you implement it and in every nation without everybody knowing what's going on and what the real deal is? Well... The answer to that question is Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030 with the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. And this is done through public-private partnerships between, well, the United Nations and corporations like Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street, and Berkshire Hathaway, who own entire industries as well as their corporations. And then you have NGOs like the World Economic Forum and philanthropic foundations like the Rockefellers or the Bill and Melinda Gates or the Ford or the Carnegie Foundations and, of course, state, federal, and local governments. All of this under the umbrella of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals outlined in Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030, agreed to by 170 nations back in 1992. Sustainable development is a well, it's a global-to-local inventory control strategy to consolidate and standardize all systems of the entire world and its resources. It is from this that we get the ESGs, or Environmental Social Governance, or the three E's, Economy, Ecology, and Equity, and Smart Cities, and Smart Grids, Social Credit Systems, Track and Trace, etc. Now, sustainability doesn't sound too bad, does it? Kind of sounds like a good thing. Rosa Corey, an expert legal witness for the California Department of Transportation and Land Use and Land Valuation, gives us a good overview of Agenda 21. This is a plan that was agreed to by 179 nations. It's called the Agenda for the 21st Century. It's a totalitarian state being developed right now all over the world. It is the inventory and control plan inventory and control of all land, all water, all minerals, all plants, all animals, all construction, all means of production, all food, all energy, all information, and all human beings in the world. And this is a plan that was agreed to by 179 nations back in 1992. It's a United Nations plan. 
It's called the Agenda for the 21st Century. It's about moving populations into city centers, concentrated city centers, and clearing them out of the rural areas. All systems have to be brought into harmony in order to control them all. Because when systems don't meet, when they're, when they're out of balance or not in sync with one another, they can't be controlled centrally. And the goal of Agenda 21 is one world government and total control from a central unit. Every nation that signed on to Agenda 21 has its, uh, its local Agenda 21 plan. The three pillars of United Nations Agenda 21 are economy, ecology, and equity, the three E's. And really what social equity is about is about impoverishing huge portions of the population and bringing down uh, develop the developed nations. All of us have a responsibility to ourselves and to others. This is true community. And I do believe that we will win, but we have to become aware that there is a fight and then make our friends and our neighbors and our community aware as well and work together. Now, remember when George Bush Sr. gave us the reason for the New World Order? Remember when he said that a credible United Nations could fulfill the role, the promise, and the vision of its founders? Now, I want to be clear so that you hear it correctly because most people think that, well, the United Nations is a peacekeeping organization. That's not true. Notice that he says that the UN will use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the vision of its founders. So it's the role they play. It's not peacekeeping. The role is to fulfill the promise and vision of the founders. If you don't remember, here's the clip. An order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. A world where the United Nations freed from Cold War stalemate, is poised to fulfill the historic vision of its founders. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. Now, the United Nations was founded by members of the Council on Foreign Relations, who are but one of many of the roundtable organizations created by the Celsa Rhodes Milner Group, who were later absorbed into the Rockefeller Consortium and their many roundtable organizations, including the Royal Institute of International Affairs, or Chatham House, or the Club of Rome, Budapest, and Madrid, or the Bilderberg Group, who, with the common goal of a new world order, a one world government created, well, as we mentioned before, U.S. Federal Reserve System, the League of Nations, the International Monetary Fund, the United Nations, the World Bank, the World Health Organization, the European Union and the Euro Currency, the World Trade Organization, the African Union, and the Union of the South American Nations. And now, through the United Nations, which they've also created, they've disguised their new world order as Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030 for sustainable development. Now, this is being implemented again through their global to local public-private partnerships with the United Nations, with NGOs, governments, and corporations implementing world government down to the neighborhood level with their 17 Sustainable Development Goals, their three E's, and their ESG's, Environmental Social Governance. Fulfilling the promise and vision of the United Nations founders is to implement the New World Order, or the One World Government System. 
So sustainable development is the Trojan horse that got global governance down to the very neighborhood level in every area of the world. Michael Shaw, in his lecture entitled The Nature of Sustainable Development, provides a good overview of the essential elements of the United Nations Agenda 21. Sustainable development has become the popularized expression for Agenda 21. Agenda 21 is the 1992 United Nations Rio Declaration on the Environment and Development. It is the agenda for the 21st century you're living in today. For a brave new world where everything that you cherished and held true will no longer exist. Agenda 21 defines itself as the comprehensive plan of action to be taken globally, nationally, and locally by organizations of the United Nations systems. It also elevates nature above man. And it contains something called the precautionary principle where basically you're guilty until you're proven innocent. Sustainable development is the philosophy designed to bring human beings across the globe under the full control of a narrow human elite. It's a 40 chapter document to basically control the world. Sustainable developers have designed a global movement coordinated through a global to local action plan to create world government in accordance with certain objectives. These objectives include an end to national sovereignty, the abolition of private property, the restructure of the family unit, and increasing limitations and restrictions on mobility and individual opportunity. How in the world do these roundtable groups who created the United Nations plan to push through Agenda 21 and its 17 Sustainable Development Goals and ESG's Environmental Social Governance to implement world government and actually make it last? Well, it's easy. According to them, you just steal a generation of children. Here again is FreedomAdvocates.org with Yuri Bezmanov. It has been asked many times how uh, the people who are perpetrating these things expect to do this and make it last. And the answer to that is that you steal a generation of children and you indoctrinate them so that they accept these ideas and they become global citizens in the coming global village. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism. UNESCO came out and declared 2005 to 2015 the decade of education for sustainable development. But they go on to say that it will encompass the 40 chapters of Agenda 21. That is your federal national curriculum. The entire purpose of second grade social studies is to transfer loyalty from the family to the government and teach them about sustainable economic consumption. Students construct their own understandings of reality and realize that objective reality is not knowable. This is our new uh, math called connected mathematics. Standard 3 tells us that students learn that mathematics is man-made, that it is arbitrary, and good solutions are arrived at by consensus. 
Most of us assume 2 plus 2 is always going to equal 4. You're wrong. We might reach a new consensus. I thought that dumbing down was a natural consequence of a bad idea. Folks, it's deliberate. It's deliberate. Stealing a generation of children is no small task. How do you indoctrinate so many children in such a small period of time? Well, according to them, it's easy. You turn public schools into indoctrination programs using administrators educated at ed schools. They admit doing this from time to time. A statement or some content addressing where we are in that process, uh, something brief. Uh, Dr. Ziegler, would you be interested in providing that to the community and back to school? Uh, everything that Mr. Mahevdi mentioned is part of the rollout plan. So we have a, a pretty robust indoctrination plan uh, ready to go, enculturation plan for this ready to go as we move into the new school year. Thank you, Dr. Ziegler. In the next clip, Dr. Lyle Asher from Lewis and Clark University explains this in detail that, well, professors are partly to blame, but it's the influx of school administrators who come in and implement the SDGs within school systems through equity, diversity, and equality programs, social justice reform, and do things like conduct diversity hearings, create offices of multicultural affairs through diversity, inclusion, equity, and social justice programs and perform the heavy lifting when it comes to groupthink shallow activism and the I support the next new thing, culture of brain-dead zombie drones looking to feast upon the flesh of traditional cultural values. These woke administrators through ed schools have these advanced degrees who brainwash and indoctrinate thousands of these administrators with this social justice nonsense, gender ideology nonsense, equity, equality, diversity, and inclusion nonsense higher education degrees, but are anything but higher education as they have the lowest academic standards possible. They are really degrees provided to get them jobs as administrators into schools, colleges, and universities. This creates an army of social justice drones who then get admin jobs and implement social justice ideologies into school systems by what's known as the Fabianistic tactic, by stealth and secrecy, through peace and politics, as I'll let Dr. Lyle Asher speak for himself in this next video. Universities are indoctrinating students, teaching them to believe certain things uncritically, especially with regard to race, gender, and politics. So how did we get here? How did colleges replace education with indoctrination? There are two main sources for the madness on college campuses today. The first, I'm sorry to say, involves people like me, college professors who, as a group, have political biases that skew dramatically to the left. Another layer of college employees has played an even bigger role in turning the nation's universities away from free inquiry and debate and toward indoctrination. I'm talking about college administrators and staff dedicated to things like multicultural engagement, diversity and inclusion, equity and social justice, and so on. Many administrators have decided that certain political positions are so obviously true and necessary to believe that they should be forced on students whenever possible. And what most of these administrators brought with them was a cookie-cutter ideology of social justice handed to them by ed schools, the weakest and most political academic institutions in the nation. Unfortunately, ed schools are notorious for their low academic standards and woke politics. The least rigorous academic programs in the nation's most dysfunctional academic institutions, schools of education, 
were sending even more of their graduates to administrative positions in America's colleges and universities. The writer Rita Kramer spent a year visiting teacher training schools around the country. She found that, as a group, teacher training schools are not focused on educating students, but on radically transforming society. Administrators reproduce the same kind of uncritical groupthink activism in college students that, as Rita Kramer documented, has made ed schools the basket cases of American education. The next video is anecdotal, but it gives an example of how the prototypical human mind is being engineered to fit into this new world order system. Because if you can engineer humanity this way, the chances of a legit rebellion can be reduced to almost nothing. How did the king, the queen, or the emperor maintain control in the ancient world? Simple, by three things. A manageable population size. The population was largely uneducated and illiterate, and they were uninvolved or could care less about their political future. This is how it's being engineered for the global state. And this is how the global state will maintain power. A limited world population that is largely uneducated and cannot play a role in their political affairs. You'll notice in this next clip a lot of this LGBTQ and trans flag virtue signaling, as well as the fact that each Kardashian sister can be named while interviewees know next to nothing about life and basic knowledge of the world. How can minds that are being engineered this way adequately understand and critically think through the real issues of our time? Well, they can't. That's the point. And that's the actual end goal of the United Nations business plan. Do you know how many stars there are on the U.S. flag? 52? Yes. What state is Utah in? Michigan? Yes. Do you know what state Utah is in? Utah, I, to be honest with you, I never heard of that place ever in my life. I live under a rock. Can you name three countries besides the USA? I suck at history. I was like, my worst subject. Can we do like science? <laughs> No, no, any three, any three, you know this. A country? Oh my jeez, this is terrible, oh my god. Um, a country, what, besides the U.S.? Yeah. Huh? Ah! I'm sorry, I can't, I can't. Alright, alright, it's I fine. I can't do history, I can't. Do you know how many dimes there are in the dollar? <laughs> Make up one dollar. A dime is the ten cent or the five cent? You tell me. <laughs> I don't know. How many continents are there? Three. Continents? Yeah. Yes. Do you know what two countries border the U.S.? So bordered? Yeah, like on the borders. It's the only border that I know is Puerto Rico and Mexico. Yes. Do you know who fought in the Civil War? Um, who fought in the Civil War? Fuck. Like from the president? No, like who oh. against who? It was the Nazis versus Germany. No. Yes. No. I'm going to say yes, but correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. <laughs> you actually just guessed that? Nah, yeah. I'm kind of smart. You didn't know that? Oh. Did they teach you that in school or what? They taught me it, but I just guessed it now, but yeah, so it's like probably, I forgot, it probably, but yeah. it's just right in the back of your head and like it came up. Yeah. How many uh, Kardashian sisters can you name? Kendall Jenner, Kylie Jenner, Kim Kardashian, um, Khloe Kardashian, um, Kourtney Kardashian. Is that all? That's all. 
Yeah, that's all of them for sure. Here's a good example of what this type of nonsense sounds like in real life in the university level. We all can remember the exchange between Senator Hawley and UC Berkeley law professor Kiara Bridges about whether men can get pregnant. Here's the clip from The Guardian. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I'm one, I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important Because of my line of questioning? Because so we can't talk about it? Because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist I'm is denying dangerous. that trans people exist by asking Are you? you if you're talking Are you? about women Are you? having pregnancies. Do you believe that the, uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think women can get <laughs> So you are pregnant. denying that trans people exist? Think and that leads to violence? Is this how you run your classroom? Are students allowed to question you? Absolutely. Or are they also treated like this? Where no, you, no, no, they're, they're told that to they're question. opening up people to oh, violence. We have a good time questioning. in my class. You should join. Oh, I bet. You might learn a lot. Wow, I, I would learn a lot. I've learned you, a lot just I know. in this exchange. Absolutely. Extraordinary. Yeah. There is a deliberate dumbing down of the American society, culture, and art. Because the plan is to remove America as a superpower by 2030. And to do that, you need to create potato head dolls, people of interchangeable parts that need to be, well, godless, sexless, genderless, and of course, clueless. Human cattle, human weeds. The plan is to make you Citizen X, no nationality whatsoever. World citizens. Generation X, like they were, disaffected and directionless. Gender X, neither male nor female, parent one, parent two. Remember the frontal birthing persons and period peoples with vaginas, clueless of the hard sciences, history and critical thinking skills. Here's another clip that demonstrates what's known as the pincer tactic. What is the pincer tactic? I'm glad you asked. But before we get into that, stay up to date with everything iconic by following us on all of our social media. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel and like our videos. To support us, you can go to patreon.com slash theiconicpodcast and make a monthly pledge. You can also support us by going to theiconiclabel.com and purchasing some of our merchandise. So let's get back to it. What is a pincer tactic? Well, the pincer tactic is where you use politicians and protesters to squeeze the majority into thinking that they're actually the minority. Then you can push on the majority and get them into agreeing to things that you know that they don't really want, but they end up going with the flow because they were made to think that they are the outsider. This pincer tactic or pressure from above and pressure from below is what Jan Kozak in his book And Not A Shot Fired describes when he talks about the people of Czechoslovakia being manipulated into voting themselves into slavery. Through targeted mass agitation, a free government was transformed into a totalitarian dictatorship legally. Today, we're hearing a lot about this nonsense being pushed at the very top. 
as though it were legitimately valid conversation and discourse. Here's the birthing person's nonsense montage. To ensure that every birthing person across this nation is empowered and feels safe. To support birthing people. All pregnant and birthing people. Black birthing people is attainable. Black birthing people. Black women and birthing people. Black and indigenous birthing people. For birthing people of color. And birthing people. Among black birthing people. Black birthing people. And birthing people. For birthing people. Black birthing people. And our black birthing persons. For all birthing persons in Louisiana. That birthing people want. Support for birthing people. Leaving black birthing people. Protect black birthing people and to save lives. Yeah. And here's the pronoun nonsense being pushed from above. Uh, good afternoon. I want to welcome these leaders for coming in to have this very important discussion um, about some of the most pressing issues of our time. Um, I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I am a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. Yeah, thank you, Madam Vice President. My, my pronouns are she, her. I'm a white woman with long brown hair. I'm wearing red, um, a red dress, and I'm wearing a see-through mask so you can see my red lips. I am a black woman with curly hair, and I am wearing a vintage black and floral dress. Pronouns in the workplace. Do you know what your coworker prefers? Well, joining me today is Heather Talamante, founder of Tell Us About Yourself, Inc. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Of course. Good to have you back. So sure. first off, let's talk about DEI in the workplace, and that's better known as diversity, equity, and inclusion. How do we go about the discussion of pronouns? So essentially, the employee will reach out and say, hey, this is my preferred pronoun. This is how I would like to be addressed. In the workplace, how we go about it is by respecting their request, right? So you want to make sure when they say, this is what I would like to be referred to, um, we address it and we, we honor that and we, uh, moving forward, use that term. Whether it's he, she, they, them, their, whatever mm -hmm. they would like to use, we want to make sure we honor that request and make them feel comfortable in the workplace. Hi, my name is Johnny and I use he, him pronouns. Hi, and I'm Kanchi and I use she, her pronouns. And we're here to talk about Pronouns. What is a pronoun? A pronoun is how we identify ourselves apart from our name, and it's also how people refer to us in conversations. Using the right pronouns is a really simple way to affirm someone's identity. It is a signal of acceptance and respect. If it's a signal of acceptance and respect, how do we go about creating a safe space for everybody? Hmm. Here's the pronoun nonsense being pushed from below. Please do not use gendered language to, to address everyone. James Jackson, Sacramento, he, him. Brian Laverne, he, him. Hi, I am Andy P. Uh, from Los Angeles, they, them pronouns. Uh, thank you, Chair. Nick, he, him, his from Twin Cities. James Jackson, Sacramento, DSA, he, him. Hi, my name is Onlin Wang. I use he, him. This is uh, Chris, he, him from Cleveland. This is Daniel Ray from Piedmont, um, he, him pronouns. My name is Trey. Uh, I use they, them, and he, him pronouns. Hi, I'm Nadine, a sex educator. And I'm Eva, a sex researcher. I use the pronouns she and her because I'm a woman, and when I was your age, I used to be a girl. Gender is how you feel on the inside about whether you're a boy or a girl, a man or a woman. If you're non-binary, feel like neither or both. People can also be fluid, feel more like female, more like male, on a, based on a different day or time. It's really individual. Absolutely. Everyone born with a vulva is a girl. True or false? Or identifies as a girl. Well, 
not everybody is sure, and that makes sense. But our genitals actually don't determine our gender. So some people born with vulvas can be boys. So first and foremost, what are my pronouns? They, them. So they all know my pronouns. It's they, them. It's quite simple. And then um, the next question was, do y'all respect those pronouns? And here's what the end result looks like and sounds like for the United Nations when they say that they're, well, they're going to steal a generation of students. This is what it's like in the real world when the destabilization that Bezmanov talks about is complete. The gender identity is really taking over our schools. If you speak against what they're doing to our children in terms of gender identity, especially with like trans and non-binary, and if you don't address them in their correct pronoun, which is they, them, you are a bigot. You are homophobic and you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Now these kids, they are even younger now and they're taking advantage of that. And then they're also putting teachers in a position where if we don't acknowledge their chosen gender, we're now considered hateful bigots. And you could lose your job if you don't use the correct pronoun with students. In my district, there was a teacher that called home and used the new pronoun that was being used at the school and name of the child because they changed their gender and their pronoun called home, the parents didn't recognize who the child was because the child did not tell the parents that they had changed their... And so because of that, the parent was upset. So because of that, the district told the teachers to hide the pronouns and the gender change from the parents. What are your preferred pronouns? Uh, they, them. These are not my preferred pronouns. These are my pronouns. Mapa, Nini, Nopa, Nori, Opa, Pere, Pompom, Zaza, Zizi, Trixic, Toric, Feminomoric, Viramoric, Allosexual. They, them, theirs. They're customizable. Anything can be a pronoun, really. Neurodivergent. Noun self pronouns. Animal. Noun self pronoun. Asexual, demisexual, and cupiosexual. Autosexual. Ace flux. Asexuality and allosexuals. Neuroqueer. Gray sexuality. And demisexual. Jexera is a gender identity that's similar to being a girl. Let's talk about cupiosexuals and cupio romantics. Let's talk about libidoist and non libidoist asexual. Pangender. Non asexual aromantic and allosexual aromantic micro labels people with penises or people with vaginas rather than saying male and female or men and women Alrighty, everybody repeat after me asexual pansexual bisexual trans people and non-binary people are 100 percent valid and definitely part of the lgbtq community and if you don't like that suck my and according to michael shaw from freedomadvocates.org and bezimov once you've stolen a generation of children well what are you actually doing with them you're indoctrinating them via the administrator-induced programs of critical race theory nonsense, social justice nonsense, gender ideology nonsense, and climate change nonsense, all a part of the new sustainable education programs covered under Agenda 21, New World Order, One World Government, Global Governance Implementation Plan. Well, like most things, none of this is happening without finance. And so where does the money come from to indoctrinate millions of children worldwide and thousands of new administrators with their woke social justice reform propaganda? Well, the money comes from where you would expect central banks and flows to the commercial banks. And then it is redistributed to companies that agree with these 17 sustainable development goals and ESGs and three E's as set by the United Nations. And companies that have galvanized the wealth and resources of the entire world through the consolidating of entire industries under their control, managing in some instances over 10 trillion in assets. Of course, we'd be talking about firms such as Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street and Berkshire Hathaway, who then require all the companies under their control to either go woke 
or go broke, forcing them to adopt all these inclusive social justice policy nonsense wholesale. If companies fail to comply with the SDG goals or the three E's or the ESGs, they will no longer receive funding. In this next clip, Vivek Ramaswamy, author of Nations of Victims, describes exactly how it works. Firms like BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, three of the largest asset managers in the world right there, together managing over $20 trillion, that's more than the GDP of the United States. What they do is they aggregate the money of everyday citizens. They invest in monies in companies across corporate America and tell those companies that you have to abide by these climate goals, that you have to abide by these emissions caps, that you have to abide by these diversity, equity, inclusion standards and racial quota systems in your boardrooms. And if you don't, then we're going to fire you as CEO. Then we're going to take seats on your board. Then we're going to cut your pay. And that's the lurking variable behind the woke capitalist epidemic, which is really the capital behind the scenes that's forcing companies through shareholder pressure to adopt these one-sided politicized agendas. And so the largest asset management companies that have galvanized the wealth and resources of the entire world, who collectively manage over 20 trillion assets, again, we're talking about Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street, and Berkshire Hathaway, are requiring all the companies that are under their control to go woke or go broke, forcing them to adopt all these environmental, inclusive, social justice, nonsense policies wholesale. If companies fail to comply with the SDG goals or the ESG goals or the three E goals, these policies include climate goals, emission caps, diversity, equity and inclusivity standards, racial quota standards and boardrooms industry wide. And so if they don't go along with these new policies, well, what happens? Well, they'll be removed as CEO. They'll replace members of their board. They'll reduce their pay, marginalize their influence and blacklist them from getting jobs in other industries or the industries that are currently employed in. And if we don't understand how it's possible to do all of this at the same time worldwide, then we fail to understand the significance of these multinational institutional asset managers who own all the major corporations in the entire world. To understand their wealth and power, let's take a quick look inside an overview of BlackRock. It is likely you have never heard of BlackRock. BlackRock was founded in 1988 by Larry Fink, along with Robert Capito, Susan Wagner, Barbara Novick, Ben Golub, Hugh Frater, Ralph Schlostein, and Keith Anderson. The firm adopted the name BlackRock in 1992. Sometime later that same year, Fink became the chairman and CEO of BlackRock Inc., the world's largest asset manager. The assets in the roster exceed the value of $9 trillion, and their net worth is equal to half of America's GDP fact, own and control the entire world. And how does this one company in America influence every industry and sector in the world? While there appear to be hundreds of competing brands on the market, the truth is, larger parent companies actually own multiple smaller brands. Two companies are consistently listed among the top institutional holders of these parent companies, the Vanguard Group Inc. and BlackRock Inc. 
In virtually every major company, you find BlackRock among the top 10 institutional investors. With its massive reach, BlackRock is essentially the fourth branch of government, influencing policies and decisions and even lending money to the central bank and Federal Reserve, holding incredible power, not just in America, but all over the world. BlackRock currently owns 18% of Fox, 16% of CBS, and 13% of Comcast, which in turn owns NBC, MS. NBC and Sky. The same is true for Google, a tech giant currently worth $853 billion. Amazon, Facebook, and Twitter are also not exempt. And neither is Disney. Thanks to their incredibly diverse investment portfolio in media alone, BlackRock essentially owns 90% of the world's media. If any of those companies wanted to make a decision, they would have to also consult with BlackRock before doing so. If we take into account BlackRock's ownership over Western media, banks, e-commerce stores, social media, food and beverages, and many, many more industries, with the trajectory BlackRock has been on, it seems their influence will only grow as they acquire more and more of the world to control. If such is the case, we are headed into a dystopian world where corporations have more power than governments. Here's a glance at the extent of BlackRock's power and influence over every major corporation in the world. Keep in mind that BlackRock itself, their assets are managed by an even larger firm, Vanguard. Vanguard and BlackRock. The power of these two companies is something we can barely imagine. Not only are they the largest institutional investors of every major company on earth, they also own the other institutional investors of those companies, giving them a complete monopoly. That by 2028, both companies will collectively manage about $20 trillion in investments, and in the process will own almost everything on earth. They own Bayer, the parent company of Monsanto, the world's largest seed producer, which produces 90% of all the cotton seed on earth are also the shareholders of the largest textile manufacturing companies in the world. And even the numerous popular clothing brands that turn the cotton into the clothes we wear are owned by the same group of investors. Whether we have the world's largest solar panel producers or the largest oil refineries, the shares are managed by the same companies. They own the tobacco companies who produce all the popular tobacco brands in the world but they also own all the major companies in the pharmaceutical industry and the scientific institutes that produce the drugs. They own the companies that produce our metals and raw materials in the entire automobile, aircraft and arms industry where those metals and raw materials are processed. They own the companies that build our electronics. They own the big department stores and online marketplaces. and even the payment methods that we use to pay for their products. Many of the most well-known insurance companies, banks, construction companies, telephone companies, restaurant chains and cosmetic brands are owned by the same institutional investors. These institutional investors are, as I told you earlier, mainly investment companies, banks and insurance companies. They are in turn also owned by shareholders. Now what is the most amazing thing? All of these institutional investors own each other's shares. 
and together they form an immense network that we can compare to a pyramid. The smaller institutional investors are owned by larger investors, who in turn belong to even larger investors. The visible top of this pyramid consists of only two companies, and we have seen their names many times by now. They are Vanguard and BlackRock. BlackRock itself is owned by shareholders. And if we look at who those shareholders are, we come to a strange conclusion. We see that BlackRock's largest shareholder is Vanguard, and this is where it gets dark. Vanguard itself has a unique structure that makes it impossible to see who its shareholders or clients are. The elite who own Vanguard don't want anyone to know that they are the owners of the most powerful company on earth. But of course, this is no secret to those who are willing to look into it. Here's a good clip of Glenn Beck, who has a good segment on how all the world's corporations went woke at the exact same time. The Fed, which is the biggest banks in the country, they print as much money and then they give that to Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, City and others. OK, and then they give that money to places like BlackRock, Blackstone, Vanguard, who are saying, you know, we only want to do business with companies that are woke. Uh huh. So then they give that money either in stock or you know, they just they just come in and take over the country. They take the money that they've been given by the banks, which were given that by themselves at the Fed. And then what happens? All of these company, they're all awash. Their stocks are doing great. And the largest investors in the company are these guys. They hold enormous leverage over the country, uh, over the companies. And they say, like BlackRock, you know what? You're going to have to be a woke company. I mean, we have a lot of trust in you, but we you'll be dangerous. You'll be dangerous. So investors put public pressure on, let's say, Apple to do a civil rights audit. Well, Apple CEO Tim Cook gets the message. He responds very lightning speed soon with a $100 million project called the Racial Equity and Justice Initiative. Now, that's $100 million, not to make or improve iPhones, but to solve racial equity. That's how it works. And once a company has been brought in line through woke investor pressure, they're kept in check through ESG because, well, let's get rid of these investors. No, the banks have the standards, too. That's what ESG is for. And no matter how they try to spin it, it is an enforcement mechanism for authoritarianism, period. That's it. Now we're in a position to understand why BlackRock is allowed to monopolize all of these industries and why they're in partnership with the World Economic Forum, who itself is now securing public-private partnerships with the United Nations. Again, these companies like Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street, Berkshire Hathaway are in association with the Roundtable organizations. Again, those are the Council on Foreign Relations, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, or Chatham House, the Club of Rome, Budapest, and Madrid, and the Bilderberg Group. They are the corporate state that is absorbing all the world's wealth and resources. And through public-private partnerships with the United Nations via the organizations like the World Economic Forum, they are putting the flesh on the bones for this one-world government consolidating the power 
into the hands of the United Nations. So you see, we've noted from the beginning of this show, we've moved from monarchies to nation states, nation states to the corporate state. And this corporate state or corporatocracy is currently putting the flesh on the bones of world government. Why do it this way? Well, if you're following Adam Weissop's six points and the plan is to get rid of constitutional rights of the people in each nation, then to do it across the board, you need to get rid of nation states themselves from which these constitutional rights come from. You create an unelected body of unelected officials in the United Nations who self-select from among themselves, whose leadership will be making decisions outside the framework of governments, thus outside the reach of their citizenry. You create regions of governance and you use various councils and governing boards who delegate policies to nation states whom they must follow. You get 179 nations to sign on to your quote unquote rollout plan for sustainable development, giving you inventory and control power over all land, all minerals, all water, all food, all transportation, agricultural, and of course, all human beings. Next, by treaties and international law, you give this entity the legal authority to govern. You give it primacy of law over all nation states, giving it sanctioning powers, military and police powers, pandemic preparedness powers. In the spirit of solidarity and cooperation for peace, prosperity, health and security. Nobody is safe until everyone is safe. There will be other pandemics. No single government or multilateral agency can address this threat alone. The 194 member states of the World Health Organization resolve to work together towards a new international instrument for pandemic preparedness and response. The agreement also has the potential to foster an all of government and all of society approach. Pandemic preparedness needs global leadership for a global health system fit for this millennium. To make this commitment a reality, we must be guided by solidarity, fairness, transparency, inclusiveness, and equity. Slowly dissolving the sovereignty once held by nation states into the hands of this final global state. This process is expedited under manufactured crises. Then you implement your, your worldwide plan in the name of safety, security, equity, equality, sustainability, all Trojan horses. For world government. This next step is to, well, to brand it. And you need to brand the transition period as, as they've chosen, the Great Reset. What is the Great Reset? Let's take a look at this next video to get an overview and get us up to speed. The World Economic Forum meets every January in Davos. You will have heard of the expression Davos man. It refers to all the zillionaires and pop stars and popes and princes and politicians who meet every year to map out our futures. This year's Davos is very, very different to all the previous ones. The World Economic Forum, along with the United Nations, along with the International Monetary Fund, and along with any number of prominent globalist organizations and powerful individuals, including Prince Charles, together have jointly promised that the 2021 World Economic Forum will be used to introduce via a vast network of connected big tech corporations, 
online activist movements and compliant local and national governments something they call the Great Reset. It's not only a Great Reset, it's a Great Deception. Replacing mum and dad, small businesses and private enterprises with big tech and big business. Democracy and free enterprise go out the window, totalitarian government control slides in through the back door. Those behind this scheme are adamant that there can be and never will be a return to normal. I want to be straight with you. There will be no return to the old normal for the foreseeable future. I repeat, there will be no return to the old normal for the foreseeable future. That is why they constantly talk about the new normal. This isn't some uh, sky after dark fantasy conspiracy theory. It is a global commitment they have made to use the panic and fear as a means to reshape all our economies and laws and move to a new form of capitalism that focuses on net zero emissions. Already, the Great Reset is being widely advertised on posters and in ads across the UK and Europe, and no doubt will be here before too long. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy is just one of their marketing slogans. The plan involves replacing shareholders of big companies with stakeholders who happen to be left-wing bureaucrats and climate change zealots. But remember, it's not only a Great Reset, it's a great deception an excuse to use all the political and authoritarian tools, as Prince Charles puts it, that are currently being used around the world, such as lockdowns, exclusion zones, forced closure of businesses, heavy fines, making protesting illegal, and so on, but now to eradicate carbon emissions. Those behind this scheme are adamant that there can be and never will be a return to normal, that life will never again be what it was that is why they constantly talk about the new normal. This is, this is not me saying this. This is them saying it. The people with the power and the means and the obsessional desire to do it. And they keep telling us again and again precisely what they have in store. Now is the historical moment, the time, not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system. Every good brand has a slogan. So what is the slogan that they've chosen? You might have heard it before. It's called Build Back Better. And the off chance that you've forgotten about the Build Back Better slogan post-outbreak, let's watch a quick montage as a refresher. And one of the key tools they are using is a three-word slogan. Build Back Better. It's a very pertinent question to ask how do we build back better. To build back better or whatever. We have a chance to reset the clock and build back better than before. To build back better than before. Remember the, the terrible damage of COVID as we try to build back from this uh, global pandemic. Joe Biden calls it build back better. Build back better. Building back better. To do things differently. To build back better. We're going to build it back better. And build it back better. It's my plan to build back better. Uh, start taking all the problems that have been created in right. education and mental health and start to, to build back in a positive way. I have launched a booklet called Build Back Better, written after coronavirus. It's about building this country back better. And calls Mr. Biden's campaign slogan, Build Back Better, a front. Build back better. Building back better our economy 
build back better. Some would say to build back, back better. We would say to really have a great reset. All elements of the great reset are fundamental to building the future we need. Recognizing the power of this innocuous sounding slogan, the United Nations, the World Economic Forum and the rest of them had a light bulb moment. With a simple sleight of hand, they realized any disaster can be the perfect excuse to build back better, meaning build back greener. And sure enough, political organizations across the globe have been dancing to the UN's tune. What exactly are the 17 Sustainable Development Goals and what do they actually mean? Well, it's a good question. When we look into the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, we find goal number one, end poverty in all of its forms everywhere. Number two, end hunger, achieve food security and improve nutrition and promote sustainable agriculture. Number three, ensure healthy lives and promote well-being for all at all ages. Number four, ensure inclusive and equitable quality education and promote lifelong learning opportunities for all. Number five, achieve gender equality and empower all women and girls. I guess they're going to finally answer the question, what is a woman? Number six, ensure availability and sustainable management of water and sanitation for all. Number seven, ensure access to affordable, reliable, and sustainable and modern energy for all. Number eight, promote sustained, inclusive, and sustainable economic growth, full and productive employment, and decent work for all. Number nine, build resilient infrastructure, promote inclusive and sustainable industrialization, and foster innovation. Number 10, reduce inequality with and among countries. Number 11, make cities and human settlements inclusive, safe, resilient, and sustainable. Number 12, ensure sustainable consumption and production patterns. Number 13, take urgent action to combat climate change and its impacts. Number 14, conserve and sustainably use the oceans, seas, and marine resources for sustainable development. Number 15, protect, restore, and promote sustainable use of terrestrial ecosystems, sustainably manage forests, combat deforestation, and halt and reverse land degradation and halt biodiversity loss. Number 16, promote peaceful and inclusive societies for sustainable development, provide access to justice for all, and build effective, accountable, and inclusive institutions at all levels. Number 17, strengthen the means of implementation and revitalize the global partnership for sustainable development. Stay up to date with everything iconic by following us on all of our social media. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash the iconic podcast and making a monthly pledge. You can also support us by going to the iconic label and purchasing some merchandise. 